The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome to Scissoring Isn't a Thing. This kind of pod collab has been in the making for a minute. We have Benton and Tristan from Why Here, which is a podcast that all of you should rate, subscribe, like, share, swipe up, whatever. All of have the sex things. With. Do all have, the above. Do all, all the, the things, things too. Yes. All the things. Yes. Yes, all please. the things. So I don't think this will be the last time that you join us on this podcast, but congratulations and uh We'll celebrate the first. Yes. <laughs> and the congratulations is on us, for, quite frankly. Of course. Well, and congratulations to you two for ha- doing this for a year. You've been doing, you just had your one year anniversary with the podcast. I mean, that's so exciting. And it is so much work. And everyone who listens doesn't really realize it, but it is a fuck ton of work and it's really hard and it takes a lot to put yourselves out there. So congratulations. That's so well, sweet. Thank, thank you. you so much. That's really nice. Tristan's we've nice. learned. A, yeah. We've learned. Yeah. I see you're completely silent on the other half <laughs> yeah. of the other mic. That's I really cool. don't have any say. Hey, that's cool. You don't he, like he, us. I feel it's like fun. your podcast is just like ours, except you have long hair and you don't really have facial hair. A hundred percent. Oh my God. And, you know, like I, I like women. That's the only difference really. <laughs> right. Well, okay. So as you guys know, I am a big drag race fan. But hold on. Yes. Uh, yes. Wait, I want to get into predictions. Was, Me too. Darren was a is a new drag race fan, which means noob. she's enthusiastic uh, because yeah. previous to the pandemic, Darren has admitted she was like drag race. And I'm like, dude, I'm telling you, it is like an Olympic Sport. But wait, let me caveat by saying it wasn't necessarily about drag. It's just I live in New York City. I feel like I go to so many drag brunches. Fair. It was like I knew the culture. But a lot of my there's friends a like very big difference between 100%. drag and IRL and drag race. True. And I realized that now, but it wasn't like ew drag. It was like I didn't get into the TV show. Do you fair. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Fair, fair, fair. That was yeah. yeah, that was it. Yeah. I was curious it's, about it. It's the best know. reality show on TV. I, I truly believe I that. Uh, have you watched Temptation you. Island? Yeah, I don't know, guys. <laughs> I, you know, you're hitting into my lane here. I mean. She really came for you on that one. Uh, yeah. I will say it is nice. It is a very good Friday night treat for me. Like mm-hmm. lighting mm-hmm. a joint, watching it. My top two from the beginning are in the top four. So I'm feeling good. I'm feeling Agreed. great. Are they the same as mine? Let's are hear they? it. A rosé and Simone, Simone Simone, yay. Oh, but okay. I loved. I have. I have really grown to love Got Mick. Like I love all four mm-hmm. of them in their own way. Like mm-hmm. I really do. Mm-hmm. At first, I didn't think that Candy had the chops to really make it. I thought she got saved mm-hmm. a little happenstancely. But I also wasn't sure how Rue has done it in the past. Maybe you three can school me. But oh, I was like, all right. She just makes up the roles. Okay, yeah. I, that's what I thought. I was yeah. like, she as, knows as, who as she, she wants to win. Up the roles they change every year. Every so, year. We have to get into a lot of it, but first I want to get the predictions done. So can anyone win Miss Congeniality? Yes. The girls all actually vote. So every contestant okay. votes and it's the, yeah, it, it's, it's whoever has the most votes and it, they are the only ones that do vote. It's just the contestants. And it's like a popularity contest. It's like, who is the well, best, most fun? It's the most like non-threatening one. That's, That's true. That's really typically okay. what it is. So, so who do we think is going to get it? Ooh. I'm thinking Got Mick. I'm thinking Got Mick too. That's fair. You know what? I think, I mean, I think Got Mick should win. I, my, my top two are Simone and Got Mick. I think they I are, are head and head and they both deserve to win. Those are mine too. Um, it's the best there's style. Just a, yeah. yeah. There's just a little bit more of an edge for me for Got Mick. I mean, to have trans visibility on Drag Race is incredible. And for them to enter at such a high level of professionalism and polish is so special that yeah. I, I, I've never seen a trans uh, representative on Drag Race uh, come across so competitively. Actually, frankly, Got Mick is the first actually openly trans during the season. So there's so right, many because there was one other well, but peppermint. Not, no, peppermint. Yeah, peppermint. Was, peppermint actually was 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 not openly trans. Right. When they that's were on what Drag I thought. Right. That it came sort yeah. of was an after thing. Came after. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. 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 I mean, it arguably, Got Mick and Simone Simone. Yeah, I can't say it any other way. Uh, <laughs> have the best style choices. Like they're they the, sure. the outfits have been amazing. I was sort of telling Liz, and she rolled her eyes and got mad at me the other day when I saw her. That I was like, I'm still rooting for Rose, and she was like. Darren and she like shook her head at me and I was like technique wise I feel like she really 
she elevates it a little bit. She brings it. Yeah, She's I mean, learned. Listen, She's loosened. She is a musical theater girl. I'm a musical theater girl. I totally like, I respect that. And I respect the polish and the professionalism that Rose has. But I think that like, they just, they have the skill set, but they don't have that same star quality that tops it off like Simone and got Metcalf. They just don't have the star quality. I get, okay, and yeah, if I Rose, which by the way, Please come on the show. You're welcome. I I think (laughs) Rosé, to your point, is such an incredible performer. That's fine. But the thing that is fun about Drag Race is that's not all it can be. Like, sometimes people have won and you're like, that person can't sing. That person can't dance. But they just have that intangible, like, Absolutely. Violet Tchotchke. Violet, the it perfect factor. example. Yeah, Violet's perfect. I mean, Violet like just had the it factor, also had fashion for days, but really didn't have like a, a skill set, a yeah. performative skill set. <laughs> a performative skill set. Yeah. And Rosé just for me was, Rosé was the one that was like, like creeping in the background, like waiting for the right challenges to show mm-hmm. her chop, mm-hmm. like to really yeah. give it to us. But for me, I'm going Simone and Gottmik Candy, we've, I don't know. I feel like she I just would, can't. I just can't with candy. I just, I'm yeah. trying. I mean, I did you watch candy. last week? Did you watch did, the yeah. reunion confessionals? And like yes. they, the, the, Candy's kind of response, like, why do you do drag? And was like, for the attention, honey. And I think that that really yeah. does probably sum up candy. And, and, and she's a really good attention whore for sure. Yeah. That sometimes she really nails it. Like she, she has great comic timing and she probably could read the phone book and make it funny. But you wouldn't understand. You wouldn't be able to call anybody. <laughs> I think she doesn't have the same kind of skill set that like Rosé has. If you were to put Rosé and Candy together, that would be a hell of a queen. Ooh, I kind of like be. this. I candied Rosé. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> watching the reunion last week, actually, and this brings us to the article that Liz actually brought to my attention, which I sort of have known about for a while in terms of like the expense of drag queens. And they get to it a little bit when they're arguing about like chicken feathers versus mm-hmm. ostrich feathers in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I noticed it. But like the thing I really like about Drag Race in sort of the opposite way is like, Lala Ree for me was actually the person the I thought had a lot of star power when I first met her on screen. I was like, that bitch is funny. I was like, she is fucking funny and she's got a lot of energy. And when she wore that horrendous bag outfit, mm-hmm. like that yeah. might be the most memorable outfit of the whole season. And I mean, got the most infamous for sure. <laughs> anal beads. Right. But I'm remembering <laughs> the bags. I'm just saying like, there, I kind of love that. Like, I, I hope that that gets, I like that that's also celebrated in the show, which I didn't realize that it was until I watched it. That's, that's been a fun surprise for me. You know, I have to admit something to all of you. I'm not a huge drag race fan. It's not that I don't like the show. Oh, your, silent, your silence has been deafening. I, was, I know. And you know, it's not, it's not that I don't like the show and I see the value of it as reality TV. And I think it's so important in terms of where it's driving conversations. But I saw the subject of this conversation today and I was like, oh God, they're, they're basically calling me out because you just presumed. <laughs> but listen, Tristan and I really compliment each other well. He's like, you know, the academic type and like I'm the fluff. And <laughs> well, but I think together. you I think you can be included in this conversation regardless if you I'm aware of the I'm aware of this conversation I'm not you know all this other stuff I'm not so aware of I mean I know it's sort of on the periphery but I understand this conversation about what these queens need to spend to actually compete on this show well which is a lot of money and that's kind of what we want to sorry I just wanted to say Liz I think it's funny that you and I like appropriated like we have these two guys on and we're like oh they're drag race fans (laughs) right like I was gonna call you guys out for that (laughs) I was like of course they love drag race of course course. (laughs) these queens will be fine like we totally did the thing that you're not supposed to kind of do but it's fine it actually leads to a larger more intellectual article sorry to interrupt you Liz you can continue just that was hilarious you're totally right we totally whoopsie do I mean listen that's like I mean, I think that's what's so funny, right? Is people assume things with Darren and I that we'll get X, Y, and Z. And we're like, mm-hmm. we don't know what the fuck well, you're talking about. I was like, about. who the fuck is that? You yeah. know, guys, drag race isn't a thing. 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> That's funny. We were going to have you though on our podcast next week and we were going to talk all about like carpentry. So I hope <laughs> oh you're okay. Perfect. <laughs> I know right? a T square. Yeah. I got you. I will bring the tools. Ooh, a T square. We're ready yeah. to go down the list. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my I got God. my socket wrench for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, so the okay, article ladies. that we thought was interesting that we could kind of talk about just, I think also, you know, given Darren's expertise in reality TV, my not expertise in reality TV, but I think it's always fascinating from a production standpoint. And all of us work kind of in and out of entertainment, whether it's theater, casting, hosting, writing, production, et cetera. Right. And I don't think people think about what sacrifices people make to go on reality TV specifically, or what sacrifices they make to ship it on out to New York and try to make it on Broadway or vice versa in Los Angeles and television, right? There's a lot of financial sacrifice. And Vice wrote an article effectively saying and interviewing some past and current drag race um, contestants. And the range of spend for the outfits was anywhere between $4,000 and $11,000, which were was quoted. And people were like taking out credit cards, borrowing money. The other thing is, is that obviously because of the runway looks, they have to have all of those outfits already made, whether they go through with it or not. Right. Or they get kicked off in the first episode. Yeah. They could get they kicked off the first episode. They go home with 13 looks. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and right. major credit card debt. Major credit card debt. And then, you know, the pandemic happened, you know, these drag queens aren't performing. Like, what are your thoughts when you hear, okay, you're going to have to quit your job in general, you're not going to be able to perform and you're going to have to invest anywhere between four and $11,000. And if you don't, we'll all make fun of you for raiding the aisle at the Dwayne Reed in the uh, baby section for pink and blue bags, which is what Lala Reed did, right? (laughs) I mean, I I think- Initially, my thought is that this is indicative of a way bigger problem in media that we've dealt with for a long time, especially when it comes to marginalized communities and people seeking positions in the media. When you talk about people, even frankly, like in internships, whether or not it's like pay to play, it's this notion of there are people out there that want to participate and they will do anything they can to do it. And some people are more fortunate and can afford to, and those who can't have to go into debt and take on all of this to actually participate. And It's actually kind of egregious when you think about a show like this that probably is a cash cow for all intents and purposes. For sure. They have the best ratings ever on VH1. And to do that and then to not consider this, and especially now that it's out there in the open, especially with these conversations around marginalized people in the past year, I mean, it seems a little bit fucking nuts that this is actually happening. I Just to echo on that, this is happening majorly in the theater industry that I work in, right? Uh, actors are now finally coming forward and, 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 and shouting that not having the same accessibility to uh, laptops and nice video equipment, nice audio equipment, readers, accompanists, all these things that especially during a pandemic were throwing on the actor, asking them to supply in order to make a good quality, competitive self-tape to be considered mm. for a project, they don't have it. And and they can show you that like it happens, you know, significantly more to marginalized, underrepresented people than it does to white folk like us. And that's a reckoning that I hope that VH1 can be ahead of the curve on and actually kind of live up to their to their kind of mantra, which is really supporting all voices. They should start providing the budget for these for these contestants. They should actually give them each like 75 grand and say, now go out and buy your 13 looks. It's on us. This is a production cost. Yeah, that's interesting. I actually, uh, that would be interesting, I think, to do, because I also think it would definitely, even the playing field of quality that you get, part of me was curious about it, just because I don't know about it. Is it like drag queens that I'd see in a drag brunch in Chelsea on a Sunday? Are they mm-hmm. also spending like that same level yeah, that we're seeing in like drag race too? Absolutely. Yeah. And fortunately, what you see sometimes on Instagram is you see young aspiring designers collaborating with them and saying, I want to do this thing for you. And, you know, they, they, they put it out there in the world on social media and, and it becomes this mutually beneficial thing. Um, but that's just a small corner of, of that world. And, and this is just a, a newer thing to Drag Race, because I actually heard uh, Jinx Monsoon, who won season five of this years ago when they were only like 23 or 24 years old, 
she talked in an interview about how she had no money. She was really dirt broke and she went with just like her costume trunk of clothing and hoped that she'd be able to pull together all the looks. And the the rules have actually changed on Drag Race over the years. They used to not give them all the details of what each look would need to live in the world of. They actually just said, bring your looks and we're going to have an arts and crafts time before each episode and you're going to have to be able to pull together looks. Now they're told in advance. Now they're working with these designers spending all this money to really amp that up. And I really think that probably has a lot to do with social media and just the importance now of queens having looks, you know, like Valentina is such a look queen and such a social media queen. Like she is known for how glamorous and like a million bucks she looks in photo shoots on Instagram. And I think there's just been a really big focus on that now in Drag Race, as opposed to what it used to be when it was like about Bianca Del Rio being able to be an insult comic and tear the house down. Well, and think about Gigi Good. So I know, Darren, you didn't watch the season like with Heidi. I know you watch clips when she came on, but the full season, there was a queen by the name of Gigi Good who sits in the house and in the group of Simone. And And your roommates, they actually live together in LA. Oh, do they live together? That makes sense. Okay, so they live together. We'll give you a little background, Darren. So Gigi and Simone live together. Gigi's mother is an insane seamstress. Like, yeah. really. She's a theater costume designer. She designs costumes for professional theater. Yeah. Like, Ooh, like Utica kind of yeah. was this season of just Correct. like, like Correct. Utica. And thus passed on the craft. Mm-hmm. And okay, the money. Exactly. Gosh. But I've been noticing, like, so they live together. They're pooling resources. So Gigi's mom makes a ton of, I believe, Simone's looks. So She does. Wh- So when you go and you look at the quality, right, and then you start to think about it's just I think you're right. It's the photo shoots on Instagram. It's just the level. First of all, go back and watch like Shangela's seasons, even on All Stars. They look a mess. I mean, you're yeah. right. They would bring their trunk of clothes and like, yeah, I mean, hot Jinx blue Monsoon diamonds on talks it. about running out of looks literally in the last couple episodes, like in, the, in leading up to the finale being like, I've worn everything good in my trunk and I'm going to have to like be resourceful and borrow looks from other girls. Like that is something that actually they talk about this season on Drag Race about how they actually have run out of looks. And that's something that they've never edited into the show in previous seasons. They've never admitted to the fact that like these ladies are running out of clothes and uh, hmm, is this an issue? Why is this like, right. They're starting to expose themselves. And how much is like, okay, let's say production just for hypothetically, they're like, no, we're not going to pay to have you. We're not going to give you guys $75,000. We'll just keep it as is budget. How much of that should also be shifted, though, in the judge's critique of the looks? Because the article mm. mentioned how Michelle, Michelle Visage, this I just can't remember. so problematic. It's All so this, problematic. This is really, really it's bad. It's like rich people have the advantage. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, she, she says to one drag queen a few seasons ago, I think the article said, Liz, of like, you don't need money. Basically, like, if you're creative and, I guess, fabulous enough or whatever the fuck, uh, you can kind of pull it off. But- that doesn't really seem to be the case with what you're saying with the evolution no. of it. So if they're not willing to pay, do you think that the critique needs to be more based in like the available resources of what people have? It well, should. They should cap what people should be spending. <laughs> right. on. I mean, it, okay. you just like election campaigns and drag race budgets. <laughs> no. you know? This is what we need to be discussing. But equally but important. Against the backdrop of what we've been having conversations about in the exactly. past year, when you think about it and initially, you know, when any of us, when I got my first internship, it was like, whatever it takes to get it, as long as they said yes and let me in the door, whatever I needed to do, whether it was like begging, cheating, stealing, going into debt, I was going to do it. That's so problematic. And they say, well, look, we have this multi-billion dollar global brand and you want to participate in it. And it's your it's it's a privilege to be able to do that. And so that's enough that we're giving you enough just by giving you the platform that doesn't cut it anymore. It's just absolutely not okay. And this exists so many places in media. I know the brand deals I noticed on this app on this season. I don't know if you guys remember those really kind of awful coach bags. Remember mm-hmm, the huge bags? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Bags. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, a spot like that, just, you know, from my personal career working in media, like it's millions of dollars that they're getting for these spots. And I guess mm-hmm. for me, I'm, I'm not privy to if, if they're getting paid. 
typically reality isn't SAG. Like there's so many nuanced conversations that we could go on and on and on and on about logistics here. But I think your proposed like, okay, every queen that comes through gets, I mean, I don't know. I think I'm hoping you're saying $75,000 total budget. So if it's five grand a pop, like that's yes. what you've got, work yes. with it or- that's a lot for an outfit. It's Fuck a lot. yeah, it is. You kidding me? Damn. I mean, but that's how much Shit, that's how much these looks cost. God. Yeah, that's <laughs> it is. But I mean, listen, like real hair wigs are like a G. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So like then you start getting like accessory. I mean, we could really go on and on on this. And that's why it was so funny. I think somebody said, Well, Anastasia providing a year of makeup like that ain't shit. And I'm like, dude, that is a huge prize, actually, because think about all the makeup, you know, and that's thousands of dollars as well. But I think a hundred grand doesn't seem like that much. Not after well, taxes. And it's definitely it's in the like, grand scheme it, of World it's of like Wonder. Fifty five thousand no. dollars actually. In the grand after scheme taxes. of a, a twenty episode reality show, which yeah. you're like, you know, pouring your sweat out. At least with Project mm-hmm. One Way, like you get your own fucking line and blah 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 blah. Like a hundred grand doesn't seem like. I like that they give out those five thousand dollar prizes because that feels like mm-hmm. enough incentive to want to win. Like that, that's a good amount of money. But yeah, hundred grand. I'm like, that's like six outfits for some of these women. Like totally. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think an, another offshoot of this conversation too, though, is that I think what you, so much of what Drag Race has done has inspired so many different parts of the creative community. When you see these women or you know these 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 girls every week putting together these looks and actually going through that process, it has inspired so many young makers and creators to do those things yeah. on their own. And so you have to think about the industry that's come from that and this notion that like we've essentially taken away the power from the vogues of the world. But I think we've essentially in some ways helped democratize how people think they can do fashion and be a part of the conversation. And I think drag race has really driven that in a lot of ways. It's a cultural phenomenon. It is. It has changed so much. There are so many offshoots. It's so interesting. Now, I know this is kind of an interesting question. And Darren, you are a newbie. So really, it's just, it's really just it's the just, two of us going to be here. But just hear me out. This, hey, Darren, should we leave? Is this like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cool. No, no, just yeah. hear me out. I want to, but, but we'll see. I have to ask the question. Some people think that it's actually better to not win Drag Race and that it is better to be a fan favorite and to be a runner up because you can come back for more. It's the what whole Clay Aiken of it all. Yeah. What do you uh, guys think? I think it is better to not No win. one talks about Ruben Stutter these days, guys. Just That's saying. Right. Makes a good For point. Sure. Yeah. I think personally, me, I'm going to all start it and I'll tell you why. And maybe it'll get some interesting, I, especially Darren, since you are like thoughts. reality queen. I think it's better to not win because that's when the journey kind of ends for you. And if you don't win, then you can come back for all stars. Right. Trixie Mattel is like the best example of that. You know, Trixie was not not ready to win when she was on our original season. But what she the platform she got from just being on that show and being a fan favorite and touring the country and developing her brand more and making albums and doing tons of collabs. When he came back on the show, he just was a fully developed, fully fledged three dimensional star, superstar and was ready to just like winning. I think winning all stars is way more important than winning just a regular season of drag race. Cause I think the competition is so much stiffer on all stars because they are, they've had so much more time in the incubation and in the public spotlight to really develop their personality and their point of view. And Trixie is one of my all time favorite drag queens. Then you got to come back with another couple thousand dollars though. So that begs (laughs) the question. Hopefully the exposure though will yeah. give you more, at least gigs to get more money. Listen, I mean, that's I, ultimately what I heard they want. Trixie say on pit stop last week that uh, they just bought a house for their mother. So I think oh. that they're doing okay. He's a full-time drag queen. I was going to say my last thought on it was not knowing you couldn't come back if you won like season four or whatever. I imagine that first off getting on drag race has to be great in general for your brand, let alone being sure. in the top four or three for finale. Like, all four of the queens tonight on tonight's episode, meaning Friday on the finale, will be okay in terms of like getting. Shit, oh my god! I would for assume. sure. Yeah, for sure. I would assume. Okay, just a, that's just a, a question. That's, that's, <laughs> that's it. I mean, okay. So before we go, final predictions: who's winning and who's getting miscongeniality? Put your final votes in now. 
I'm going to go saying Simone Simone is going to win. And I do think Got Mick will get Miss Congeniality. I personally want Got Mick to win. That's who I want to win. But I think that Simone will win. What she says. Yep. And I think uh, Miss Congeniality will, will go to Got Mick. Yeah, for sure. Fair enough. Liz? I guess we're all in agreement. The only <laughs> twist. Oh, how the sweet. only twist I see, see. We are the same. Yep. Yeah, yes, we can get along so well. Yes. The only <laughs> twist I see is Candy somehow getting miscongeniality, but she was so she was a part of the Heck, mean girls. No for way. A minute. No. No. Ooh, they're so mean. I don't think. They're totally mean. No. Candy is mean, but Agreed. it's a defense. But that's the only twist. <laughs> well, our next guest on Scissoring is one of my faves. We've got Captain Sandy from Below Deck Mediterranean on, and she talks about getting robbed by pirates, smoking joints, taking ecstasy. She does all the things. Darren, I was so nervous in this upcoming episode because I know you're obviously very involved in many ways in the uh, Below Deck franchise. Oh. What does that mean? Oh my god! Um, wow, her girlfriend is the showrunner. I date the showrunner, but uh, also below deck. It doesn't help. It isn't say, helping. Below deck me. doesn't help. Yeah, yeah. yeah Just yeah, saying, yeah, she's below good, deck yeah. often. And so I was kind of nervous. You know, Sandy does not fuck around. Sandy yeah. really went through how she got sober, why she's sober. Honestly, like. She sounded like a lot of fun when she was a teenager, but I know it was destructive. So I'm glad she's on the other side. Really heartwarming moments was when she talked about her partner, who's a gospel singer. And like, hmm. just they are such a fucking Florida vibe, like I'm dead. And so it was a good episode and I hope you guys enjoy it. And before we go, boys, yeah. can you plug all your all your stuff? Yeah, where can people donate to your drag funds? <laughs> well, our, our Patreon isn't up yeah. yet, JK. Enter. Uh, yeah, we're at Why Here Podcast on Instagram. And then you can find us on all the streaming platforms at Why Here Podcast. And all the social media platforms at Why Here Podcast. Pretty straightforward. Pretty simple. When do you guys drop episodes? On Fridays, uh, it's been a little challenging lately just because we've been so fucking slammed, but um, yeah. it's Fridays. And there'll be a one this Friday yeah. as well. So one, Yeah, one tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. So, so is it just out. the two of you or do you have a guest? I'm the guest because uh, it's my birthday on Saturday. And <gasps> Happy birthday. Thank you so much. And we've been asked by a number of people to do episodes on ourselves because we're asking everyone else their secrets. So it just seems so mysterious. So we finally <laughs> so, decided we'd talk about so us. So we were like, why not do me on my birthday? I'm going to do myself on my birthday. Say. It'll be hot. First time for everything. I'm excited for you to lose <laughs> yeah. your V card to yourself uh, well, on it's your not birthday. the first time, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, ladies, yeah. I... <laughs> I can't wait until next time when we can take just like a deeper dive into your muffs. Well, <laughs> hop on in. That, that was, yeah, that was the best way. And I was going to say, uh, next time we have you guys on, which will be sooner rather than later, we will not just focus on drag race. It's It'll okay. be some other reality <laughs> obsession. I'm you know, sure we're going to do this to you. and We're going to come up with a subject. We're going to make you talk about it for 30 minutes. <laughs> Stop like, All right, ladies, quantum physics is the subject today. <laughs> Let's dive right in with the oh main equation. But thank you both so much for coming on. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Well, well, Liz, the time has come and it's very appropriate because you and I are wearing the same thing today. So this is clearly a don't think of anyone the would ever have predicted that you and I would ever wear the same thing. But here we are. <laughs> Oddly, no, but this is my girlfriend's outfit right now. So maybe that makes more sense. Nadine and I have a vibe. Yes, you do have a vibe. And, and speaking of vibes, I have to introduce our next guest because she's an important person in my life and has been for a while. A Fort Lauderdale native with over three decades of yachting experience under her belt. Captain Sandy is one of the most respected captains in the industry. One of the most respected women in my life personally. Sandy knew she wanted her career to revolve around the ocean from a very young age and was not discouraged when she discovered yachting to be a male-dominated field. Knowing the difficulties that come with leading an entire team while providing five-star service, she makes it her mission to know everything and every department on the boat. As the crew travels around the island of Mallorca this season, Sandy attempts to keep the mood light, often joking with the crew. Still, she's not afraid to crack down on insubordination and be a tough boss she needs to be in order to provide guests with the best charter experience. Welcome, Captain Sandy Yon. You are not in Mallorca, right? That was from a few seasons ago. Wow, what an intro. Thank you, Darren. It's a <laughs> pleasure to be here, as always. Thank you so oh, much for that intro. That was it was amazing. good. 
Yeah, Listen, she practiced. She practiced it. I practice, and yeah. and yeah. you know, for my years of watching Below Deck Mediterranean, I will. I'm a little intimidated to have dinner service with you because I feel like I'd have to know the place settings, and it would have to have the right forks and knives everywhere because you're on a tight ship, literally, Captain Sandy. Well, you know, I don't. I'm totally relaxed at the table as a guest, but when you're in charge of a crew and you're serving a client. You're not so relaxed because just like if you're a restaurant manager and your meal isn't great, you're going to go straight to that restaurant manager, right? Amen. The the food isn't, the food's cold. If your server's slow, it's the restaurant manager. So in my mind on a boat, when food is being served, I'm essentially the restaurant manager. Can can you also dispel a rumor for me? Because my cousin's favorite show is Below Deck Bad. And she texted me last season and she goes, this show can't be real because if it were me, I would be ordering like gravy fries at 4 a.m. And we never see drunk food orders ordered at 4 a.m. question. Does it happen? Like, I don't see people it ordering happens. food. They usually get paninis. Yeah. Um, but it's usually the late night crew. It's not the chef. Got we it. have panini makers, so they, they're great at that. A little grilled oh, cheese. Who doesn't want a grilled cheese at four in the morning? For us, Liz, you know, a little inside. Yeah. Well, here. Captain Sandy, we do like to start out every episode with asking our guests to identify themselves, whether that's gender or sexuality. But we definitely never want to misgender somebody or assume anything. So, would you mind um, identifying yourself for the listeners and for us? Well, I'm Sandy. So, Perfect. to me, I'm that a human is, being. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's I don't. It. I don't have an attachment. I love it. No, every answer is different. We, I just love love. No, love is love. We get we get different answers, right, Darren? Every single time. Yeah. Um, and so I, you are Captain Sandy. There is no other. So that is the perfect way. I'm just another human being on this planet, just like everybody else. Amen. Fair. You're also a gorgeous human being. Oh, thank you. And you know, I just said to my friend, we're trudging the road to happy destiny. Every one of us are working to be happy, right? So we have to work. We have to work to make money. We all love to go on trips. We all love to do certain things. And, you know, some days it's easier than others. And, you know, this certain material that I read, it was like, you trudge the road to happy destiny. And some days it feels like that. And other days it's, it's a piece of cake. So I'm just another human being trudging the road to happy destiny. Well, listen, I mean, even like cisgender heterosexuals can't seem to figure it out sometimes. So yeah, I think that's probably the best way to put it is we're all just trying to figure it out. But for you, you know, you're in a male dominated industry by far. You're in a male dominated position as a captain. I mean, and forgive me, I'm a little yacht ignorant, so I'm not really sure about like how male dominated, but from what I can see, it seems very male dominated. And I don't know if gay is the right word. I know that you're just Sandy, but the fact that you're a woman and what I know from being friends with you in, a, in at least in a gay relationship, uh, was that difficult? Do you try not to bring up your sexuality at all? Like, is it hard enough just being a woman in your field, essentially? I don't make it a thing. Being a woman isn't a thing for me. I step on the vessel as a captain. I take over as a CEO of a company. I'm thinking about my job. I'm not thinking about my sexual orientation or who I love. Right. That's never really been a focus for me. Um, if you're sitting around... You know, if I go to a marina and I go out to dinner with friends, it's an automatic. People don't, I don't think, you know, we're in 2021 now. It's not for me in my world. People will say, hey, how's Leah? Like, it's just an automatic. I don't go, hey, I got a girlfriend. Like, I don't announce. I don't announce, hey, I'm a woman driving a boat. It's never been that. And, you know, my sister, blonde hair, beautiful woman in a corporate world, um, you know, up there in the executive level. And she said, you know, she just, she never made it a thing. She just went in and did her job. Have I been turned down for jobs because I was a woman? Of course. It's sad to say, but yes, in the past I have. And I've been told that by, <laughs> they probably shouldn't have told me that, but but it's interesting. Yes, that's happened. But yeah, I don't make it a thing. Like my sexual orientation is my business. I like to help other people, but at the same time, my job is my employment. It's not their problem, right? Or their right. I don't know, business, I guess. Yeah. As long as you're as long as you can steer the ship safely, uh, shouldn't matter whether or not you got seven right. arms or four toes or whoever you're sleeping with at home. Can we can we take a step back and can you tell us like how you grew up? I mean, what was your family life? Where did you grow up? What was your childhood kind of like? 
listen, I was raised on a lot of land. Uh, we had 12 acres and wow, we always had a boat. My dad, you know, we water skied. I was always on the water, had motorcycles and horses and dogs. Right. So, and had a very strong work ethic, but yeah, I come from a divorced family. I was eight years old. My parents divorced. I got, you know, my, I always share this, my, um, Neighbor offered me a 714. Do you know what that was? No. No. Tell us. Well, that's called AKA Quaalude on the bus. So uh, people in my generation know what a 714 is. So that was offered to me on the bus and I got on that merry-go-round. And thanks to Nancy. Okay. Nancy is the reason. Okay. And I got 25. I got off the merry-go-round and got sober. But it took all those years from, hey, listen, I was always in the front of the bus. I was the good kid. You know, I was always in my seat in the classroom before the bell rang. And the minute I took that 714, my entire life changed. Right. And then it was the drug, the pot, and the this. And then I, at 25, I got clean. It's a young age to get 32 clean. Years clean. It is a really young age to get wow, clean. Congratulations. I mean, were you during, you know, high school, college, whatever, were you kicked out of 11th grade? Kicked out of 11th grade. Okay. <laughs> All right. Were you dating? Did you have any long-term relationships? No. Yeah. I was dating drugs and alcohol. Okay. My long-term relationship was like my, you know, like a good time. It was like, I was just chasing that good time. Of course I was seeing people, men, women, both. Did you have like a coming out kind of experience later on? Or did you never, some people don't ever Not really. Okay. No, it was more of a getting sober okay. and thinking, huh, this is kind of cool. Like my choice was, you know, I, I love men as equally as I love women, but I prefer women. I don't know why it's just in me. And I love Leah. Leah's the best. Leah's my person. So. Leah has the best voice, Liz. You got to follow her. Oh, I know. You got, Gospel okay, singer. Good, I was going to be like, she's got the pipes, man. She's, she's got the pipes. And I, I've been lucky. In fact, I will say Leah did text me and she was like, what's scissoring? And I was like, Leah, nope, I'm not here to explain this to you. I'm backing away from this conversation very, very wholeheartedly. But <laughs> Good you know, job, it's Darren. curious, Sandy, because at 25 to get sober, 25 is, and granted I am 32. So I understand that I, I am still young, but 25 is young to be able to make that decision at 20s almost feels like you're in the height of partying what was the decision that kind of turned that around for you you know for you to kind of have the wherewithal to say like I need to get my shit together for lack of a better term I think it was in eighth or ninth grade when I was handed that 714 so if you do that so from that age until 25 that's a lot of years yeah. Yeah. of using so I had lived a life way before 25 and I always like to say this, like the school of hard knocks gives you tools, leadership skills. You know, a lot of my leadership style came from learning how to live. I I didn't really live on the streets, so I can't say that because I, you know, I had a home. I was always in trouble. In fact, my mother went to court and asked the judge to rule me ungovernable. And I was, the hammer went down and I was ungovernable by my mother. She could not control me. I was 16 and shipped off to treatment. And um, was my sexuality a big part of that? Uh, Probably, I think so. But did they bring that up? Was that ever discussed? Not at all. And I think it's also generational of that time. So much shame and hiding. And for me, I just never really paid attention because I was out there getting high. You know what I mean? And then when I got clean, I was like, wow, this is cool. And for me, I just didn't care. That's the other thing. And today I still don't care what people think about me. I really don't. I've never had that problem. You know, I've never had that problem. I just didn't care. That's such a good lesson. Yeah, of course. I mean, especially I think when you come to such a personal and evolved decision to put yourself first and get clean. I mean, you don't care what other people think because you have so much stock. I would assume so much stock in what your own, right? But In my experience with kind of boating, I grew up, my dad um, is from New Zealand and he was a professional sailor. And so I kind of grew up in and out of that world. There seemed to be a lot of drinking. I felt like growing up, like you'd go out on, you know, maybe not yachting per se, because obviously that's a job, but I just mean more the social aspect. There was a lot of drinking that I saw, you know, like 
having beers while you're sailing, you know, out on the speedboat, whatever. Was that a struggle for you or did you just kind of turn off? And once you made that decision at 25, it didn't really matter what other people were kind of up to. You know, well, I want to back up. I don't care what people think. I don't care what people who don't know me think. Of course I care. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, in that, in the boating world, when I started working the 12 steps, they say, change your people, places and things because, and I did, like I got, even with my own family, because I used to party with my family, I separated myself for a while. I was in treatment and I lived in a halfway house in Fort Lauderdale called Stepping Stones and for six months and I, for nine months actually. And after that, I got a job on a boat and I went to sea and I ended up in New Hampshire and I started going to meetings there and I met these incredible women and, you know, New Hampshire is the live free or die state. Right. That I do. They had that, you know, great. And then I came back to Florida after working on that boat and I just advanced in my career and I just didn't, I just immersed myself. So I didn't really feel it. If you know what I mean? Sure. Of course. Had that temptation. When I was done, I was done because I'll tell you this, I was court ordered to go to those uh, recovery, right? At 17 years young, the judge, boom, ungovernable, you have to go, right? And plus I had many DUIs, but I had a ton of them. And that was before Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Thank the Lord. So I, my scar on my face is from drinking and driving. My own self did this to myself by hitting a parked car. Wow. And that did not stop me. You know, it was through that. I was like, oh man, that sucked. You know, bummer, bad luck, right? And then I continued. And from 17 until 25, I was in and out. Like I kept trying to get clean. That's a lot of years. Yeah. Yeah. And at 25, I was done. I was done. I got off the merry-go-round. I I was willing, you know, and I was open-minded. And I was just like, okay, I can't, you can show me how. And that's... How? Now it's 32 years later. Well, yeah. And that takes a lot of grace and a lot of just self-awareness on your part that I got to say. And let me, and let me just say this. And I know that you and I have been friends and colleagues for, for years now. And so I've gotten to hang out with you personally, which has been great, but from my standpoint, you know, I've worked for Andy now for 10 years and you know, there's not a lot of female gay representation on Bravo's air as much as I would have wanted to see being an out gay woman myself. You know, we've had a couple over the years and certainly Bronwyn on OC, but you're really the one, you know, for better or for worse. I mean, you're kind of that beacon. And for me, when you came on air, that meant a lot to me and that, and we didn't even know each other yet. And that was like, wow, look at this. I mean, in a male dominated field. And do you ever feel that you, the pressure to sort of be this LGBTQ plus role model while also being a role model in the the sober community and helping people kind of turn their lives around. Do you feel that pressure at all, especially being on such a popular show? Yeah. The pressure I feel is because of the social media. Cause you know, mm-hmm. like I have to think twice before I post something because, Hey, you know how those people can be. And then when I sure. say, I don't care what those people think of me, of course I don't care. Like if I wasn't on a TV show, I wouldn't care. But because now I, I'm out there and people are looking to me, right? So you have those eyes, you just have to be socially responsible. So that socially responsible, you know, yeah, I'm a responsible person. I mean, I don't drink or do drugs and I want to do the the right thing, but sometimes I just want to be Sandy, you know, and you I are just Sandy. You are, just you are. well, Captain you Sandy. Know Captain what I mean? Like, but I can't because I have to think about how it will affect others. And sometimes I think, okay, well, I can't really say that because they'll spin it right. in a way that's not meant. That's not how I meant it. So many people do that. So yes, whether you love a man or a woman, it doesn't matter because again. It's how you show up for yourself. And I think if I can be a beacon for that, it's okay. You know, I did that show, Celebrity Call Center. Mm -hmm. And so I got a question. The guy was going to come out to the family reunion, right? So he was going to come out to his entire family at the family reunion. So I said, here's how I would do it. I broke it up in thirds. A third of the room is going to love and accept you. The other third is going to be on the fence. And the other third, they're not going to. So the two thirds 
the the one third that loves and accepts you is going to convince the third that's on the fence. And then those two thirds are going to change the hearts of the third that just can. Some of them just won't. And so I believe that if people, if you're honest with yourself first, and then you go out and you share just for your behavior, right? Because we are examples. It isn't that we have to use our mouths. We're just walking, living examples of what it's like to live with another woman and love another woman or man. And we do that and move through society, just like Andy, you know, you move through society and you show people, hey, they have children. They do this. You, you raise kids, you have dogs, you go out to restaurants and you're not, you don't have leprosy. And yeah, I, we're just normal human beings, just like the rest of us, just like the rest of the world. And I don't, you know, I never liked the separation of anything. It's like, we're in this together. We're one race. We are the human race. And that's how, that's my vision and my, the way I see the world. We spoke a little bit about your partner who is a gospel singer. And, you know, sometimes some people, when they go through the 12 steps or they're a part of the program, also rely on faith. Do you consider yourself a religious person or have you ever been religious? I was forced to go to church, I think, to get out of our parents' hair. And it was <laughs> right. <so> That's <laughs> it so true for so many people. people. <laughs> it wasn't to save our souls. It was to right. get out of the right. house, right? So, right. and um, what they would preach, I was like, oh, no, yeah, I'm not into this. And I would play in the ditch. I wouldn't even go to church. But I am, I believe in God. I am spiritual. I uh, Sure. You know, Leah taught me a lot. I love her, her in the way she described some of the Bible to me. <laughs> she goes, isn't it red? I go, no. She goes, okay, Jesus didn't say that. And I'm like, oh, cool. You know, so <laughs> it's so hilarious. And I was like, you know, I don't know. We were watching something and I go, what? That's in the Bible? She goes, yeah. It, I go, it sounds really torturous, you know? So some of the things I just can't get my head around. Um, but yeah, I'm not religious, but I definitely believe in God. And <laughs> Yeah, I pray every day. I feel like every time you talk about Leah, though, you light, it's very sweet. You light, you light up, up. It's really amazing to watch. So yeah. God knows what Leah's telling you. You probably take it all as the truth because you look so sweet when, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I love it. She's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you've clearly found your partner, you know, as have I, and, you know, and, and you know, my partner, Sandy, and and it makes you light up and you feel like a different person, you know, back to what I was saying about kind of wearing these many hats and sort of taking this role of being this beacon for a lot of people, you know, and granted, you don't give a shit what people think about you if you don't know them. And granted, I think that you have to respect a person in order to respect their opinion. How does that relate to maybe the crew members on board your ship? Now, gr- now, granted, you're not just a captain for, you know, uh, however many weeks below deck med is airing. You are a captain professionally. This is not just some reality show. It's really an OcuSoap. If someone were to come to you, I mean, do you do you view yourself as a mentor for a lot of your crew in, in terms of if they're having sexuality issues or questions? Do you open yourself up to that at all? Do you feel the need to? You know, honestly, if a, if someone comes to me and they generally are sincere about whatever their issue is, of course, I, I mean, you want people to feel like they can talk to you. Like I honestly, in my career, I feel blessed to be there first and foremost. So why wouldn't I give back? And that's my way of giving back. I am open to listen and to offer advice. In fact, I have a, a bosun from 2004. I'm having a call with him on Saturday. He wants some advice. I love that. 2004. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Ramiro. Yes. <laughs> I He's love. in Mexico right now. He goes, can we talk? You know, I'm like, of course. So I stay in touch with a lot of those people. And yes, of course, like I'm going to give them my time because your time is so valuable. And I think the older you get, you, you realize how valuable your time becomes. And that's what it is. I'm very selective who I spend time with, how I spend my time. And, you know, when people reach out to me for help, of course, you know, I get a lot of calls. I get a lot of messages and my phone number's out there. It's fine. I'll answer it. And some people just count saying, I go, yeah. And they hang up, they freak out. It's like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) You know, it's kind of funny. I don't, I'm not afraid because it's so interesting. So many people respect that and the others don't. And when people ask me for help, whether they're on board or they're strangers that I've never met in my life. I'm going to help if I can. If not, I defer them to someone else. I love that. So 
something that struck me, I guess it was quite a couple of seasons ago, was when Chef Mila made those really offhand anti-gay homophobic comments about not wanting. Yeah, in the van. But what I thought was really positive about it was how all the other crew members really became allies for the LGBTQ plus community. And I know you've already done interviews where you said like you didn't hear it. You kind of heard it, you know, through the grapevine. Have you ever spoken to her since about it? No. You know why? Hmm. None of my business. How she feels or how she thinks is her business. Yeah. Who am I to step into her life? Listen, this girl grew, grew up in Russia. Fair, right. We are fortunate to grow up in America. Well, we are, our kind of brainwash is one of freedom, one of free thinking. You know, I don't, I have no idea how that girl grew up. No yeah. idea. What she thinks or feels is none of my business. And that's something I learned a long time ago. What you feel or think is your business. And that's what's so great about our country is that we can choose how we want to think or feel. We're not told or we're not forced to like she probably is right. Or she was in her country. And that's the difference. And I think when you are in my position as a captain and not a crew member, you have to look at the different nationalities and take into account what countries did they grow up in? What freedoms were they given as a child? And We're American. We're born free. We're born in a democracy. We're not born in a country where we have to think and act a certain way. Right. Maybe some places in this country you have to, but, you know, largely it's not like that. But yeah, I try to stay neutral. She can have her opinion. It doesn't affect me. Obviously, when you add alcohol, people get really fired up. But, you know, she came to me personally and started sharing to me personally. I'd say, I'm sorry. I hear how you feel, but I, I disagree. Yeah, and that's right. the cool thing. And that's something I learned over the years is I learned how to say, I respectfully disagree. That's how you feel. That's not how I feel. It isn't for me to bash her down. Yeah. I, I, I gotta be honest. It's pretty refreshing to hear someone say that because I, I do feel that you can disagree without being disagreeable. You know, I had, a, I, my therapist said to me once that like, all of life's hardships essentially come from people getting in other people's business or people getting into business that really isn't theirs. You know, to your point, it's like, she's allowed to think how she wants to think. Can she cook this meal? Like, that's what you care about. That's your criteria of whether or not she can stay on the ship. But, and you know, you have a very thick skin and and you, you are an emblem of that. And I really, I value that. And I appreciate that. And I look up to it for any young person out there, especially with social media nowadays, just ramming it down their throat or someone has a difference of opinions, what would you say is the piece of advice that you'd give those people on how to handle someone who disagrees with you strongly and maybe is attacking you? What would be your advice to those people and what they should say to them? What would you say? I honestly just had a conversation with a a book publishing company and we talked about how integrity in business starts in the household, right? Integrity Mm -hmm. as a kid, you know, you grow up, Obviously, your parents raise you, you learn uh, certain behaviors or you learn to be self-confident or you're not so secure, right? So if you're secure in yourself, and there's so many children out there that are, that don't take this personal, but there are those kids that think social media builds up their confidence. Don't take social media as your confidence builder, Take your own behavior to build your own confidence. And that means have some integrity. You know, that means show up on time when you're supposed to be at school on time. I don't know how old the age group is, but do the next right thing. Show up, do the next right thing. And when you're standing in your own person and you know that you've done the work, uh, wake up, dress up, show up. I like to say kick ass repeat. If you do that every day and you're just doing the next right thing, that shit on social media is not going to bother you. You're just going to go block, delete, block, delete, pick up your phone, (laughs) block, delete, because those people don't get, they don't get you. They don't get to have the right to have an opinion about you. So don't allow social media to be your guiding light. Yeah, totally. Don't let other people maybe tell you who you are right? Like you get to determine that for yourself with this attitude, which, which, you know, I, frankly, I share and it's refreshing. Did you have any mentors growing up or anyone that kind of taught you to be confident and not care about what other people thought? Does anyone come to mind that you had, or was it just from within? You know, honestly, 
I got clean. I fell off that merry-go-round. Someone picked me up and they go, Sandy, if you do this, these, this is what you get. If you want to continue on that road, this is what you get. And for me, it was always handcuffs. So, you know, I not the fun kind either. Not the fun, kind. Not the not fun, the fun kind. kind. Yes, not the fun yeah. kind. Let's let's be fair about that. In one of the first, I guess, times that we met you, or when you came onto the show and you were talking to the crew, you kind of said, "Listen, guys, I've seen it all." even pirates. And I just really was wondering if you could elaborate on the pirate interaction for me. Now, remember, pirates are thieves at sea. So they're right. just thieves on a boat. Okay. Okay. So that's a pirate. So there's a lot of thieves at sea. Even in the Met, I remember hearing this. My old first officer, who I encouraged to be a captain, he's a captain now, and I heard him on the radio looking for his tender because we were anchored in the proximity were radio range. And I was like, oh, you left in the water overnight, did you? Because it was a small tender. And we all know in certain areas in the Mediterranean, you don't leave certain toys in the water or they're taken. So yeah, that was piracy. Now, mm. I've been chased by pirates a few times. There's a body of water in between Cuba and Haiti. It's called Windward Passage. And in that passage, a lot of the Haitians from Haiti come and they try to steal your tender because we took sure. a very, some tenders are a million dollars. Yeah. Some are a quarter million. So they try to cut the line and, and take your tender. So I've been chased by pirates there. I called the Coast Guard. Obviously the Red Sea, there was the threat of piracy. I never, never actually did see pirates, although I anchored off of a military camp because I had a fire. Before I had the fire, I had some trouble in the Red Sea and I anchored and we woke up and it was a militia military camp in Yemen. We were boarded. We had to hide. It was crazy. It was just crazy. And then so we spent five days in repairs and we knew we wore out our welcome. So we headed out to sea and we had a fire. And then the guy I hired for security comes to me and he goes, you know, the pirates heard that call. And I got intel. The pirates were on their way. And I said to the guy, stop talking. Like, I don't I don't really need to hear that. When the pirates are off the bow, you can tell me the pirates are off the bow. But until the pirates are off the bow, don't tell me that pirates are coming. Because all that did for me was just fuel the anxiety. Pressure. Yeah. Right. I already had enough pressure of one crew member trying to hit the other crew member and kill him because he pulled the CO2. I had another crew member trying to jump overboard. In the meantime, I'm calling for a rescue. At the same time, the guy goes, the pirates are coming. It's like, enough already. He's like, you stop talking and just go do your job. Right. So, <laughs> and basically that's. That's a, a pirate story. I, that There's was great. Story, that didn't I disappoint. I mean, you're the only person I know that's been chased by pirates, which is amazing. I actually have a boating question for you that I don't know the answer to. In order to become a captain of a yacht or of a, a ship, boat, whatever the, the proper term is, do you have to know how to be a deckhand and a stew? Like, do you have to know how to do every single job on that ship? Or can you only be a yeah. captain if you were a bosun, you know, working up from yeah. deckhand? How does no, that go? no. Okay, so you don't have to know those jobs like in the commercial world, because obviously there are commercial captains that aren't on yachts. In the right. yacht world, it really helps for you to know these jobs before you take over a yacht that's in the charter world. Because, you know, we are a charter business. We're not commercial shipping. Right. So we have to know that. So you need to know service. You need to know the deck, the toy. Yeah, you need to know those departments. I have an engineering degree. You know, I don't tell people I don't need to. I don't want to get my hands dirty anymore. I remember I had an engineer once. He goes, could you help me empty the, you know, change the fuel filters? And I said, these hands do not want to smell like fuel anymore. Yeah, no. So one day he really needed help. And he goes, could you, could your hands possibly smell like fuel? Because even when you put the gloves on, you're, you still get the fuel on you. You know, yeah, I've done all those jobs. But for me, I did it in a way where I was the only person on board. I started on a small boat, a 67 footer, you know? So I did everything, everything inside and outside, change oil, like all of it. And then I went to a 92 and then I jumped from a 92 foot boat to 157 footer. And I went through the build. So I went from an American owner, 92 feet, and um, we built 157 footer to an Arab billionaire owner. Wow. I mean, what's the cra oh, wait, sorry. What's the craziest thing? I, I was on a yacht once. All right. Whatever, Don't, whatever, All right. whatever, whatever, whatever. All right. Sure. And I loved the name of it. It was called Wywalk. Beautiful boat. Anyway, but it had a hot tub on it. And I remember being 
so shocked. Like, why? And I get it now why you would have a hot tub. But at the time, I was like, why would you have another body of water on a boat? Like, sure, get the showers. What's the craziest custom thing you've seen built on a yacht? Underwater aquariums. Like, you can go, basically, I was on this one vessel at the boat show and you went downstairs and it wasn't, you could see outside underwater. Oh, you could see actually outside. Wow, that's That's sick. It was glass. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Also terrifying. But it was cool. crazy. So it was like an observation lounge underwater. Okay. That's true. That's great. Cool. Well, what was like, okay, sorry. One more, like one a, more, Darren. Has there ever been something super custom on a boat where you're like, that is so gratuitous and so ridiculous. And this is so unnecessary. Medusa has a recording studio on it where you two recorded on it. That's Paul Allen's, one of his boats. That's um, I mean, you know, that's a recording yeah. studio. You fly out to record music on a boat. Yeah, that seems unnecessary. Right. That's, that's a little much. That's a little much. I don't much. know, Darren, if we if you and I were invited to be on a boat to do this well, show in a recording studio. I'm here for it, Sandy. We're doing this podcast on Below Deck Med season six next year. You better believe it. Uh, Sandy, have you <laughs> yeah. ever been on a cruise? No. Would you ever go on a cruise? I don't think but it would have to be a really boutique cruise because I can't imagine moving in the masses, to be honest. <laughs> like, I think because the, the yacht world spoils you in so many ways where you're very, you know, you're like anchored in a place where cruise ships can't fit. Like maybe one of those really small European ones. Yeah, like maybe 350 passengers, maybe. We're going to get to the game, but I got to say, Sandy, you know, it used to be really cool in high school where that I could drive like a stick. Like everyone thought I was like this badass chick who could drive a stick. (laughs) And then I watched Below Deck Med of you reversing into the dock with like one inch on each side of you. And I was like, okay, uh, Sandy beats me in all the cool factors of being able to drive a stick. You're just incredible. And that's all I just wanted to say before we get to the game. Okay, let's get to the game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Nadie's like, and she wants ice cream. <laughs> all right. Well, we end every episode. She's, well, listen, ahead, you're, just, sorry, you're just very pure and you want ice cream. Listen, you're sober, ice cream. It's a simple pleasure for you, Sandy. You know, we end every podcast with a game we call Scissor Me This. It's just a few rapid style nonsense questions. It literally means nothing. It's just really fun. Uh, Liz, why why don't you tee up the first question? I think we have two or three for each of you. Go ahead. Okay. So if you were to design your charter guests from celebrities dead or alive, you can pick like three or four. Who would you want on the boat? Will Smith. Oh, I would have Will Smith. Okay. Yeah. I would have Oprah. Obviously. And um, Beyonce. That sounds oh like a really God. lit, that's black S- excellence S- at its finest. That's a Sandy, great boat. I noticed you didn't say my name in there. Was that because that was just baseline? You already were going to invite me anyway? You know, know, I want the singing. Mm -hmm. I want the soul. And I want some, I want, you know, comedy. Uh, Fair enough. I mean, I could provide all three, but that's fine. Moving on, moving on. Okay, (laughs) here it is, Sandy. Would you rather eat Kiko's Vegas dinner, which we all know, or Mila's microwaved steak? Okay, Kiko's Vegas dinner. <laughs> Has to be. Has to be. <laughs> as soon as she put that steak in the microwave, I was like, nope, that's a bad thing. Even I know she not to do it. that. He licked the steak. He licked it. Uh, so, so gross. gross. Especially so in gross. a COVID world. I'm like, yeah, ooh. Like, okay. Well, since you are cozied up with your partner, I feel like you would be an incredible potential housewife of Fort Lauderdale. And if you were to be one, what would your tagline be? Don't hate the player, hate the game. Yeah, yep, yeah, that, it would be that like, works. I steer the ship, but Leah wears the pants or something. It's got it, it, something. No, we'll, yeah. it, it's oh, something. Yeah. We got to think of it. We got to think of it. Uh, you think Sorry, it's that, I definitely put you on the spot. I put okay. you on the spot. I put you on the spot. If you could join any yeah. other Bravo franchise, you can't say Below Deck and you can't say Below Deck Sailing Out, what show would you join and why? I like Southern Charm. Yeah. Interesting. I like Southern Charm's either New Orleans or Charleston because they're both on the water. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. And I'd be on a boat. 
That's true. You and Patricia Fair Actual enough. would be like best friends. Yeah, I, I see, see that actually. I can see that. Just have to know, and I feel like I know the answer to this. Would you rather be a third stew or the lowliest deckhand on the ship? I'd rather be outside deckhand. Just because that's what you like normally. That's just, that's just, it just fits you. Yeah. Getting a tan, you know? Yeah, fuck yeah. Be outside. You want to be in the sun or you want to be inside hanging over in a toilet? Like, seriously. Yeah, I don't want to be folding laundry for these monsters of charter guests and crew. Oh, my God. Sandy, thank you so much for coming on Scissoring Isn't a Thing. You're absolutely incredible. You are such a mentor to me and and a mentor to, I'm sure, a lot of people. Where can the public, outside of seeing you on Below Deck Mediterranean, where can the public find you on Instagram or on socials or anything you want to promote? This is your chance to do it. Jacqueline Sandrion on Instagram. I don't know. They'll find me. I don't even know. It's there. <laughs> I was going to say, you. Captain Sandy, your phone number is not hard to find. I also want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. I thank am you. such a fan. You can find us at SIAT Podcast. Darren is Carpe Darren. I am Listen to Liz. And we love you, Sandy. We love thank you. you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Scissoring Isn't a Thing is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. The show is edited by Maureen Begas. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SIAT Podcast. See you next Tuesday. Bye.